Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Just Another Football Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by Ali and George. Guys, good evening. How are you doing? Good evening. I'm all right. I don't think Ali's uh, so well. But... I'm uh, I'm ready for the podcast. I'm I'm as good. I'm doing as well as I could in this moment. Um, we'll talk about the Liverpool Real Madrid game, but yeah, yeah, it's the fact that it is like we deserve defeat. So I think that's that's kind of me we'll, making me calm about it. We'll we'll yeah. come on to it because it, uh, yeah. just just for those that might be sort of a bit confused by the timing of it, we are literally recording maybe ten minutes after the whistle's been blown in the uh, Real Madrid Liverpool Champions League game first leg. Um, Liverpool lost three one. Um, obviously, I'll come to you, Ali. Um, yeah. You know, we, we we spoke about kind of going into this tie, what your what your attitude towards it was, how confident you were, um, which wasn't very going into it. I, I think it's fair to say, um, and and perhaps you've you've been vindicated in that. I suppose the first thing is, were you at all surprised by? Klopp making the changes that he did, given that you know it was a very good performance at the weekend, and you know Arsenal helped your cause, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a bit. But were you surprised that he he made the changes he did, given the performance at the weekend was a very good one? Absolutely, I was. Um, I don't see the point in starting Naby Keita when he really hasn't played much football this season at all. Um, I thought you would want to start James Milner to uh, for. It, before anything a bit of leadership and because of the fact that Trent at the weekend was really offensively minded so if you were going to do what you did against Arsenal kind of stick to that plan that that won you the game you you let Trent attack the their left hand side and then Milner can cover the space left behind which he does so well um, but also that leadership aspect but if you look at that Liverpool lineup and I, I do want to mention as well, I, I just did a, uh, upload a video um, this morning just previewing the Champions League games. Um, and I was a, I was much more optimistic because of the fact that Sergio Ramos was, was confirmed out. And then Rafael Varane this morning um, was tested positive COVID 19, and I do hope he's well. It, it gave me a lot more optimism. But then I saw the lineup and I was like, mm, are, am I as, as confident anymore? I thought you, I thought he would start Firmino just of because of his, um, his his energy in terms of the press. So while I expected Klopp to maybe make a few changes, um, just to accommodate for the fact that we will need to press this Real Madrid team because of the just the caliber of their playmakers that we all know, uh, that he would start Firmino, and that he would try to to press high or to not give this Real Madrid team a chance on the ball, especially Tony Kroos and Luka Modric, who each had an assist. And yeah. all the time in the world on the ball at any given moment. I don't think until the 75th minute we had any shape in pressing or any attempt at pressing 
Real Madrid. This is just that. yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting point you make, and and kind of the reason I suppose it really stood out to me watching the game tonight is when I watched Liverpool the weekend, and they sort of you know it's it's one game, right? You can't say they're back to the best, but there were aspects of the performance which were of the Liverpool of last season and the season when they won the Champions League and even the season when they got to the final where it was on the front foot, pressing the opposition really deep into their own half, winning the ball high up the pitch and just being relentless. And and what I saw from them tonight was the absolute antithesis of, of, the, that. <laughs> of that. And also, like it, it, I think what you kind of associate with any sort of Jurgen Klopp team, which is being aggressive on the front foot, uh, being hard to play against, I think, is the the first thing that comes to mind with with the success he's had at Liverpool. Liverpool, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of teams in the league, are probably the team I enjoy playing least, right? Not just because of how good they are, but because of the manner in which they go about what they do. And I don't know, like, if George, if you have a take on this, but Liverpool at their best are a really, really awkward opposition for anyone. And it kind of just looked tonight to be really easy for Real Madrid, not just because Liverpool allowed them time on the ball, but also because they made mistakes, they were sloppy, they didn't seem to be switched on. The first half, I mean, it could have been more at half-time. It was 2-0. Oh. And I saw you put a tweet out, Ali, saying you thought it was the worst 45 minutes of football that you'd seen from Liverpool since Aston Villa, the 7-2. So, I mean, yeah. it's damning. Um, what... Apart from team selection, is there anything else you think maybe contributed towards you know what you saw from Liverpool tonight in terms of the way they performed? Was it was it the way they set up? Was it just a really poor performance on the night? Like, what do you think caused it? Were Real Madrid really that good? You know, did they have to be? Before I leave, meant this sort of comment. Yeah, go for I would say the team selection to me, obviously, Cater was a surprising pick, but. It suggested, obviously no Firmino, but it suggested that they were going to press high. To me, Brian Alderman and and Keita, a lot of energy. Um, They're going to be buzzing around. It suggested to me that they're going to press high, uh, and they always play a high line. So, so that would that would complement each other quite well if they did so. But um, listening to the commentary for the first half, um, that just didn't happen. Uh, and I know that's quite hard. It's quite hard to grasp, you know, players' positions, especially in commentary. I didn't get to watch. Yeah, the George game. didn't get to watch um, the game for those that didn't. Uh, I, I listened to it. Though. Yeah, but well, the first half, and it ju- it just felt like there was a lack of intensity, which is, like you said, completely the opposite of, of a Klopp um, team. And it's whether that is purposeful. Is Klopp for some reason changing his philosophy so he wants to uh, press less? I can't, I can't understand it, but. But perhaps that that that's a that's a that's the thing he's trying to do. Um, you're absolutely right, George. Like what you felt is is what happened. What it was. Yeah. Worse. Liverpool didn't have a shot in the game. So before I like I come into the the defensive setup, which I thought would win and lose the game for Liverpool, which it did. Um, the uh, on an attacking. In the attacking standpoint, we um, we were just bad. We didn't have a shot. That's, you know, I don't want to go as far as saying, oh, I will go as far as saying it's unacceptable. Um, in the Champions League quarterfinal against a team um, that's lacking their best center back and their second best center back, 
you need to take that chance. And the fact that we didn't manage to to have any influence on the game whatsoever for all 45 minutes of the first half and for most of the second half is just insane. In terms of the defensive structure, it's just the opposite of what you were supposed to do. Tony Cruz, um, I think I mentioned already, creates more than four chances a game or has like four point something something um, shot creating actions per game, according to um, stats bomb stats on, on FBRA. So you obviously, if you've done any preparation at all for the game, you know that he's going to be their main attacking outlet. And you stand off him and allow him even more space when he gets the ball to play the ball. That it justifies common sense. And while I, I, I and I kind of recognize now that it, my reaction seems a bit strong, but it's literally just after the game, and I'm just in disbelief of how poor we are. We didn't even serve the goal. I'm not gonna lie. Mm. Another of the, I mean, slightly moving away from Liverpool, another aspect of the game that was completely disappointing was again how long it took VAR to confirm that Salah was on side even though he was he was was, it was just it was was ridiculous I just want to put that board do you know what but it is is, it's ridiculous imagine if there's fans in that stadium waiting that long for a decision that there was that clear it's just the the thing is like the the cut of the grass was like right there because vasquez was standing on the darker side and Salah was on the lighter side like what more do you want there's being diligent and then there's being pedantic with it and 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 the var official tonight in particular (laughs) seemed to take too much time for mine with, with every decision that went to him you know that was probably the only one that had a major influence on the mm. game but when checking for possible i think he checked for a, there was a check for a penalty in the first half which took much longer than it should have i i, it, I think we all want var to do the job it's there to do because i think that you you get reminded every so often why it's in the game because you see a howler yes. and var overturns it and you're like right that is what it's there for. It is to eliminate those clear-cut errors, which it takes one or two looks at and goes, yeah, that's a mistake. That's not a red card, or that's not a penalty, or whatever it may be, right? Or that's two yards onside, with, yeah. like we had one last season. Um, but what it isn't there to do, and this is you know, what, what gets my back up about it, it isn't to rule off sides by people's armpits being you know, a millimetre offside or whatever it is. Or Ollie Watkins' hair being uh, just, like, flappy. and Yeah, it it isn't there to overrule goals. And I know they changed the rule, but it isn't there to overrule goals where the ball's kicked at someone's arm from, like, a yard away and their arm's down by their side. And, look, I think we could do a whole podcast on VAR and its its shortcomings. So I I don't want to get too bogged down with it. It certainly was a frustrating aspect of the game. But just sort of going back to it... on Saturday, I thought Liverpool did a really good job of nullifying the threat of Arsenal's best playmaker, Martin Odegaard. And they did that by putting mm-hmm. Fabinho on him, and he just mm-hmm. snuffed him out of the game like he can do against pretty much anyone on this day, Fabinho. He's an exceptional uh, defensive midfielder. Now, in this game, it seemed to be too easy for the likes of Modric and likes of Cruz to pick the ball up in deep, deeper areas and so not playing as hard the pitch as Odegaard was on Saturday yes. and create from those areas. 
the first goal came from it, which is a good example. Do you think, Ali, it was by design to stand off them? Or do you think the fact that they dropped into those deeper positions, like they can do in the 4-3-3, and it sort of was more difficult for Liverpool to be in the areas to stop them getting those balls in behind and stop them getting time on the ball because they were in different positions to, you know, Fabinho's a defensive midfielder, for example. He's not going to be necessarily going man-to-man on two certain midfielders. Like, are you surprised that they were able to dictate the game the way they were? Because it's nothing new. We've seen them do it in Europe for five, six years now. Hmm. It's such a tough question to answer because on the one hand, it, like watching the game, it, it seems it it makes it look like it's my design, but when when you think about it, it's hard to believe that it is by design, because again, like Tony Cruz is probably the best playmaker in the world this season by the numbers. Yeah, come on, man, Just press it. Like try to try to make it difficult for him at least. Like make an attempt. In the first goal, Diogo Jonta literally stands off him, like runs back and back and back, five, six, seven yards, and and Tony Cruz just pings it out. And while Liverpool collectively were, were just fast asleep at that particular moment, and it again go, goes back to the point that as you know, as appreciative as I am, Toz and Kavak and and Nathan Phillips, and they're they're standing in and doing. A great job for their ability and the the circumstances they were thrown into, but Joe Gomez and Van Dyke are just another level of good compared to them, and their positional situational awareness is uh, is what's required for that level. And it doesn't seem like the fan folks and those like Kavak unfortunately have that yet, and mm. it, it just showed in this goal. But if I don't know if it's by design or not. I hope it is just because if it is not by design and if Jurgen Klopp had told them, press them and they didn't, that's just players going like going against the instruction, I guess, or just forgetting to do it. Um, but at the same time, if it is by design, it's just poor management and, and poor preparation, I would think. And I don't want to be too harsh because, you know, I love this club. I, I love Jurgen Klopp. He's one of our most successful managers ever. But I I don't know. I, I, either one would be damning in some It's way. not great. It isn't great. It's not reading. great at all, no. yeah. And But to go back to like the Arsenal game on Saturday, the fact that we were... And, and another reason I had this optimism before the game um, actually was that Arsenal performance. Because while I didn't get to watch it live, I, I managed to watch a replay of it. And we just carried out the game plan so well. We completely nullified any chance for Arsenal of yeah. making any attacks. Arsenal, this game, this has been doing the rounds. They've had their worst XG performance. It's 0.3. Oh, it was dreadful. It was dreadful. Over the last seven years of, of XG data collection since 2014. So we were just excellent defensively as well as scoring three goals yeah and i thought okay like something might be happening here but it's it's just a combination of poor planning um or just a, a lack of carrying out the plan um and a cumulative set of bad individual performances offensively too as well as defensively you know the the second goal trend yeah well do you know what it's funny you brought Trent up because I was literally about to ask you about him because 
Trent was really good on Saturday. And obviously, I think it was helped by the fact that we just didn't get any attacks going. So he didn't have to do any defensive work. And that's always kind of been the question of him. Yeah. Um, tonight, I would be disappointed as a Liverpool fan watching that because, I, mm. I, you know, you're sort of looking at him on Saturday. And I know he's been better recently, right? And, and I don't want to get it wrong. But overall, his season has been not at the level as expected of him. I think he's such a top, top player. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the, the the question's always been: Can he get himself into a position where he's excellent in terms of attacking output, gets into really good areas, and and his delivery is phenomenal? Right, prime example weekend. He li- like th- that cross is so difficult to to put it where he does. It's the only way they score that goal, and, and I don't think it, and, th- and, and he does it time and time again. You're absolutely right, and I don't think there are many people not just in the league, in the world, that, that get that assist, right? Yeah. The problem is, yeah, last season, we saw it, it, it on a few occasions. I think I, the, the one that sticks in my mind was when you beat Spurs at home 2-1 last season. And Trent had a really good game, but there was twice in the second half he got caught defensively by Son. Mm. And Liverpool could have ended up drawing or even losing the game as a result of it. And you're sort of here a year later, they've won the league. I know he had COVID in the sort of build-up to this season. But you're sort of looking at his defensive game and you're like, well, he hasn't refined that side of it. So uh, it's a difficult one with Trent for me. And I'm sure you'll sort yeah. of have more of an opinion on it, Ali. But like, where where are you at with his performances at the moment? Like, is it surprising? Um, is it anything new to you? Are you sort of disappointed he's maybe not stepped it up in terms of the defensive side of it? Like, where do you stand with it all? Um, I'm hoping this game is, um, a, just a standout one-off, extremely poor performance, um, because on both ends of the pitch, he, uh, uh, I, I think it's no secret he wasn't good enough, but Trent is one of the best right backs in the world. So in terms of defensively, we know Trent isn't as strong as offensively. So if you're, if you're putting his card on football managers, but it's tackling get at least at most 11, but his crossing get 16. You know, those types of center backs. Uh, sorry, full backs. Um, I, uh, where do I stand on this season? Obviously, below par compared to the past two. He's capable of so much better than that. So much better than that. For, for me, I think, I think potentially it's time for a new role for Trent. I really, I, I'm a little bit it's worried interesting about his take future. On it. I'm very worried about his future with, with England, especially yeah. when we'll get on to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Story. Um, that's, that's, uh, only only because we kind of we, we don't we we don't play the same way as Liverpool, and we're going to have to be defensively sound, especially against top teams, if we're ever going to compete for for you know a, a international title, um, a major title. So, I mean, you look at his his numbers in terms of progressive passes, carries of the ball, he could be a right winger. Like uh, he could be a centre mid. They always say centre mid, like yeah. a centre mid that that plays like Sissoko but better. Yeah, just you know, like someone who can carry the ball yeah. is a bit of a physical monster. I can't see him dropping in, spinning. You know, I, I can't see him being Thiago, but I can see him picking up the ball, driving to the right wing, and crossing it from deep. You know, these kind of players that that want to get on the ball. Um, and, and perhaps that would make him far more effective. I know 
obviously I, I don't train with Trent. I don't. I can't see his training. Perhaps he's just far too natural of a, of a right back to to be in any other position. But mm. his defensive play is is extremely poor. I mean, if you look at you know the, the data, if you look at the eye test, it, it's it's not. It's not good. Like as as much I I love Trent and I I really want him to succeed because I think he's a fantastic fantastic player, but but that is is just one area that's that's almost on the point of not acceptable, um, I... especially for a top team. So so do you keep him in the side at right back and just accept that there's going to be a a flaw there, or do you try and change his position? I, I can't. Yeah, yeah I think it's unlikely that he changes role in that Liverpool team because I think the way they play is so it's so well set in place that it would take a complete overhaul of the way they build up play and create chances for him to be playing a different position. I think his role on the right is as integral to that team as anyone. Um, I think it's a case of, you know, you get through to the end of the season, they're not going to win the league, obviously. They can't win it mathematically anymore, I don't think. Um you know the Champions League. Obviously, they got the second leg. That that you know that potentially you could look at. But then, who do you play there if you're Liverpool? Who 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 can play right back apart from him at the moment? It's not the other guy, Williams, is it? I, I don't think he's much better defensively, and he certainly doesn't give you what Trent gives you going forwards. Um, and then you you know you get to the end of the season, you get Van Dijk and Gomez back, you get Henderson back, probably fully fit. They might look to bolster their options. You know, in midfield or in the defence in the summer, I, I don't quite know. I, obviously, the, there's talk of the the Leipzig centre back coming in. Um, Brahima Kanate. Yeah, which, which might help Trent as well in terms of sort of you know covering on that side of the defence. But in terms of a change of role, I, I'm certainly much you know more convinced by the argument that for England, it's difficult to see him playing right back. Not because I don't think he could be effective there, because I think he's excellent and he would make my squad every time. But as you said, it's because it's knockout football. The managers don't get the time with the players that you know club managers do. Gareth Southgate's got to go to that Euros with his job's on the line. I think if we have a poor performance and go out early, he you know he's in a lot of trouble. And oh, okay, I, I personally think so, Ali. I mean, maybe we'll get onto it. But yeah. even if he isn't, like he's going to be judged. It's a results business, right? And he might be looking at it as. You know, if you get to the latter stages of tournaments and you've got teams that are going to have the ball more than you and you need people to defend and do a job for you, there is the argument, and it's not necessarily one I sort of ascribe to, but there's the argument that you can't trust Trent defensively. Because this season, when he's played in a team that hasn't had as solid a structure as it has in previous years, he's struggled and he's been a bit found out. And I know there's probably Liverpool fans that are going to listen to this and aren't going to like it. And I, and I yeah. fully understand that because if he was my player, I'd want him in there every time. But it's just disappointing because I, I like I, I looked at it at the weekend and I thought, okay, the, 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 you know, this is more like it. This is this is the Trent Alexander Arnold that everyone expects to see, and yeah. it was just disappointing. It was it was one of many disappointing performances I thought for Liverpool out there tonight, actually. The, uh, the only so, sorry, yeah, Ali, the, the, the only po- positive I, I I don't know if we want to move on to positives yet, but that away goal <laughs> is so massive, so it's huge. Yeah. Two, two a two 0 win at Anfield, and that's not. I know that sounds ridiculous. Like it's not. It's not unachievable. Um, they won a game at Anfield. Yeah, it's, it's 
since the losing That's run? a good question. Are they still on that losing run? I don't think they've had a game at Anfield, have they, since Fulham? Uh, no, they, uh, we have played Wolves away. Away, Arsenal away. away since, yeah. So we still haven't. Um, but it's it's like it's still entirely possible that we No, of course it is. If the fans were there, I'd expect them to get over the line. But um, yeah. Sorry, we, we cut you off there, Ali. Did you want to sort of like add something to the Trent discussion or something else? Be... It was on the Trent discussion. Yeah, go for because... it. Um, I I was heavily I was heavily critical, still am, of uh, Gareth Southgate not taking Trent and taking Dyer, and like a lot of people would, would potentially agree with me. Yeah, hundred percent. It's ridiculous. So we're not going to go through this again, but it's it's like I don't know if I should say this, but I I kind of accept Gareth Southgate's point of view almost. Because of the fact that he he doesn't have a lot of time, like his reasoning for not choosing Trent, but uh, is uh, is fine. But when he chooses other players out of form, it, that, that's really the ridiculous. thing, isn't it? And, I, and I'm yeah. sure, but yeah. At the same time, sorry, Harry. Go at the it, same man. time, it it is such an important stage of England, the England national team history, and Gareth Southgate's job. So he will have to take ruthless decisions that that he knows or that he thinks are best for the national team. And I think, like, I would come to terms with, with Trent not being picked purely because he doesn't fit the, the, the system for England. The fact that you want, that he wants a defensively solid right back, maybe more so than Trent. Um, while I, I think... Like I would start Trent, but I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm biased, um, yeah. So my way of thinking is not um, his way of thinking. And if he does, if Trent carries on that kind of up and down form, and he does get left out at the end, I would understand it at least, or at most. <laughs> I want to say, like yeah. I would, I would take him regardless. But um, like I would, I would accept it. I would understand it if you get what I mean. I wouldn't, but you know that, that that's just me. Um, are you're you're not a massive fan of Southgate, are you? Not especially. I mean, no. we'll talk a bit about England a bit later on, I suppose, if we have yeah. to. But um, no, <laughs> not really. I, I I just think that as you said, he's one of those managers where there are different standards for different players to fit into his plans. So yeah. someone like Eric Dyer, as you said, can perform so poorly over a season. And yet, still get into the squad, and he's left Trent out of the first opportunity. It just makes zero sense to me. But you know, I, I don't want this to turn into a bashing Southgate podcast because, again, we'll be here yeah. for ages if I. <laughs> so, you know, at, at sort of um, at risk of uh, at risk of going down that particular um, diversion, Rome. let's move on. Yeah, um, I don't want to talk too much about Arsenal, but obviously, you know, given the fact that we talked about them last week. Um, and you know potential improvements they were making um, yeah. and it kind of fits into what we said about Liverpool that, that it takes two to make a game like that and as much as Liverpool were really really good Arsenal were dreadful I thought as a worst performance of the season and there were a lot of bad performances to compare this against um, you know at risk of this turning into a monologue there's a couple of things I just want to like you know highlight and obviously if you guys want to jump in and kind of give your two cents at any points um, feel free I think, look, 
we weren't helped by the fact that we were missing, by half time, we were missing probably five of our starting 11. So, obviously, Shaka, David Luiz, uh, Emil Smith Rowe, Saka were all injured for the game. And then Tierney goes off at half time. Now, you know, there are a lot of people that are listening to this that will probably scoff at the suggestion of David Luiz and Granit Xhaka being really important to Arsenal. But all I would say to them is if you watch two, three Arsenal games, you'll see how fundamental they are to our build-up play and our progressing the ball up the pitch. And that was one of the biggest problems in the game on Saturday. We could not get out of our own half. I mean, literally, I've never seen us as pinned in our own half as we were on on Saturday in that first half. Extraordinarily, it went in nil-nil. By half-time, Tierney had gone off as well. And look, like, I don't yeah. want to apportion blame, but all three goals came down that side where you've got a, right, a backup right-back playing left-back. It's just... You know, it's not good squad management. It, it, Tierney was good in his positioning in terms of Salah likes to play quite close to the striker. So what he would do is drop in and sort of cover that. And then the problem with that is Aubameyang ended up playing left wing back. If you look at his average position in that game, he was so deep and so wide, it is incredible. And this is kind of the main focus of my anger towards this game in the way we set up. Anger? Yeah, it is because I look at it and I think you've got someone like Aubameyang, right? Uh-huh. This season, he's been asked to play left wing a few times. And I know he had success doing it last season, right? Where mm-hmm. most chances that came to him, he took them. And you think of that FA Cup semi-final and that FA Cup final where he played in that position, scored two goals in both games, and we end up winning it. Even. And in the Community Shield, coming off that left. The problem is, well, the first thing is he can do that playing as a striker. And he has done it against Leeds and he scored a hat-trick. But the second thing is we're playing a different way. So... When he was playing there in that in that sort of formation, in that setup, we played 3-4-3. Three, three. You had Tierney playing left centre-back. You had someone like Saka or Maitland-Niles, whoever it was, playing left wing-back. And then he could just stay high up the pitch and play as sort of a left-wide striker, drop into that left channel and cut in when he wanted to. And then I look at it on Saturday. I've never seen anything like it. And people were really critical of him, right? And I understand that because... Yeah. It, it, the, the thing that bogs people down, I think, a lot in football nowadays is the captaincy, right? I think the captaincy means fuck all as far as I'm concerned, right? It really does. How many captains in this day and age are like your classic Patrick Vieira's, Roy Keane's, Tony Adams? I don't see many of them. Who's Man that's City's a, captain this season? That's a hard take, Who, Who's I, Man City's captain this season? Let me ask you that. Who is it? Uh, oh, that's, that's a good question. I know as a Liverpool <laughs> fan, so as a Liverpool fan, I understand you might have a uh, a stronger take on that and, and the importance of a captain and setting the standard and leading those around him. But for me, I'm not as bothered about it, right? But that, that that's why people get bogged down on the back. Fernandinho is the captain, obviously. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, I don't know how many games he's played this season. Yeah. That's why people get on Aubameyang's back, right? The issue I've got with it is, and this is the problem I've kind of got with Arteta and Edu moving forwards, and this is why I'm a bit worried about the summer. He signs a new contract last summer, right? You're paying someone 300 grand a week. What does that suggest to me? It suggests that they are absolutely integral to your plans moving forwards, right? If you have someone that's integral to your plans and are going to be right at the forefront of what you want to do going forwards, you have to build your squad around them and the way you're going to play about uh, around them. What you don't do is say, yeah, well, you know, you're going to play up front one week and we'll sort of chuck you on the left another week and then you'll be back up front and then you'll be on the left and we're going to chop and change the formation. The player has to take a certain amount of responsibility. But what I dislike is 
I don't see anyone that was signed in the summer and I don't see anyone that's being played in the team to bring the best out in him. And it's something that really makes me uncomfortable going forward with Arsenal is I don't see the general direction of the sort of players we're trying to bring in to get the best out of, you know, the highest paid player at the club. I just don't understand it. Um, and, I, and I understand why he got criticism on Saturday because it's three or four poor games coming off the back of him getting dropped for being late, right? Which is unacceptable, by the way, and it's a completely different matter. But it's sort of something that concerns me long-term of Arsenal. Is I don't understand what we are actually trying to do in terms of the players we're, we're bringing in. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. So Well, I thought with the, uh, with the signing, and we talked about that last week, the Odegaard signing was a good signing footballing wise, like in terms of the plan he wanted to carry out. Because oh, I agree, and I no think alternative to Emil Smith Rowe. Totally and agreed. Nakanel has a better role, and and that just didn't work out on uh, at the weekend because of, or maybe partly because the just the performance wasn't great, but because of Liverpool's. Well, <laughs> come back to Liverpool. No, but they, their, Liverpool were really the good. The organization of their press 100%. was supreme. So supreme. Why have I said that word? Um, That's great. Mate. The, it's a good word. Um, so the 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 structure uh, defensively in terms of the press was great. So like I like the Odegaard signing was good, and if you can make it a permanent one, that'll be no. Uh, I I totally fun. agree. The problem I've got with that is right. The best we've Are looked this season. Yeah, that that as well. But the best we've looked this season is when we've played Saka, Smithrow, Odegaard. And Abamyang. So three creators behind Abamyang. And Abamyang's the guy that's sort of getting the chances, getting on the end of them, right? Yeah. Now, you know, his uh, profligacy in front of goal is something that, you know, has cost us at various points. But at least he's getting the chances, which he wasn't earlier this season. The problem I've got with that is, right, and this is why I say I don't understand what he's actually trying to do with that attack, is his willingness to move away from it at various points and put Abamyang on the left and put Lacazette up front. He might his hand might have been forced a little bit at the weekend. We had a couple of injuries, right? I understand that, yeah. but I it, it doesn't make sense when you have your best performances playing a certain way with a certain setup to then go away from that at the first opportunity, and it's it's multiple times a season he's done it. So, you know that that was my takeaway from the game. It was a really poor performance, and it was sort of looking at it and thinking, okay, we played Liverpool last season at home. We somehow won it 2-1, right? But we were played off the park. You're looking a year later, Liverpool aren't as good as they were then in terms of the way they're playing, the morale, the players they've got available, blah, 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 right? We're supposed to be better. We've had two transfer windows. We've brought in the likes of Partey, Gabriel, Erdegaard. And yet, it was it was so bad. We were so far off the levels you need to be. And I understand there's a bit of kind of, okay, well, the season's a bit over. But, like... It really worried me as an Arsenal fan, kind of going forwards. Um, and I wouldn't blame you. Th- there's a lot of work to be done there, and that's that's kind of my main takeaway from it: is do I trust these guys to recruit properly in terms of trying to get the best out of players in certain positions? And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I do. But you know what? L- luckily, yeah. right on this podcast, um, I wasn't the only one that had to suffer a, a bit of a pasting at the weekend for my team because earlier that day, Chelsea. <laughs> And uh, West Brom played out a Saturday lunchtime thriller. And do you know what? I've been talking for a while. So, George, <laughs> what did you make of the game? Oh, just, just before we start, what a positive podcast this is. 
We're, it's we're great, all coming out of a of a three one loss. Do you know what? We, where we didn't play football, Arsenal. If we'd for, if we'd filmed it a few hours game. earlier, we would have at least had Ali being positive. <laughs> but no, we had to do it after the game, and it's just negativity yeah. personified. Sorry, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for those who stuck around until now. Go on, George. Yeah, um, I just want to reference back to a couple of podcasts ago where me and Fergal said. We're a little bit concerned that Tuchel might not change the formation when, you know, there's a bit of adversity. Mm. And unfortunately, we've been proven right. Uh, he stuck at a three at the back when he's gone down to ten men. Ah, that's such a good point. It, it's, it's, a, it's a baffling... He, he took off... He, I think Pulisic got injured. He took off ZH um, and brought on another midfielder instead of taking off... Um, a centre back and, and going into a back four and providing a bit more uh, chance to transition. Because mm. what you see in the game is you see Kovacic picking up the ball, dribbling past someone, losing the ball, and that that that, that happened time and time and time again. Jorginho was poor. He picked up the ball from deep. He turned as he usually does, and he saw nothing because we, we we got we had three center backs in, in in you know in front of him as he picked up the ball he turned there's nothing Werner had to drop really deep i mean we, we can go into Werner. i think he had i think he had one shot that um uh that game and it registered as a 0 xg which i didn't even know was possible but <laughs> it did on nice. FIFA um look i don't think it's as i don't think it's as catastrophic as some people have been saying look 5-2 against West Brom at home at the Stamp- at Stamford Bridge looks absolutely terrible. But if West Brom can't be a team that's got 10 men from, from the 29th minute, then I think, you know, there, there's no chance they were ever going to stay up in the Premier League. But not um, five. Five? This is the thing, Ali. So the, we outdid them on XG on the day. We got 2.4, they got 1.9. Scored two tappings though. Um, yeah, we did, uh, yeah, um, and that that will have that will have yeah rocketed the XG. But yep. but we dominated the ball largely, even with like even with ten men. Um, was it was it Sam Allardyce wonder? Yeah, we had sixty three percent possession. Was it Sam Allardyce? You know, um, masterclass, like some people are suggesting, I'm not so sure. I can see them dipping again. I don't think they were that impressive. I thought their finishing was extremely impressive. Yeah, they scored the some way cracking some goals. Of the goals. Sort, yeah, the way cracking, some of the goals were constructed. Goals. But they're, they they're, they weren't creating that. Like they, they, this is the. I think this is the best. T- they've uh, like they've created as many chances in this game. In compared to any other game I've watched them in, like this is a ten men side from the twenty ninth minute. You, like I'm not, you, I'm not you, making excuses. You're not bitter but... at all, are you, George? No, not at all. Yeah, what I would say, I don't think it's concerning for Chelsea. Uh, it's concerning in in the sense that we haven't been able to capitalise on the number of people slipping up on the on the weekend mm. um, around us, like Tottenham and such. Um, but it's uh, it's not catastrophic. Tuchel will go again. He'll learn, well. He probably won't learn from this. This is that, that's the only concern. He will continue to play like he does, but that won't be a problem if he doesn't get a man sent off so yeah. early. I mean, I, I um, was I was surprised yeah. by the fact that you're already one nil up, right? Then you get the red card, and I, I I get it came quite soon after, so maybe you're a bit shocked. You know, you just scored yeah. a goal, you one nil up, but the, the, the game plan's there. 
you're holding a lead, right? And I'm not saying for a second that you have to put 10 men in front of the goal and play really defensively. But what I sort of mean by that is, it's not like you have to go chasing the game. Like, the game plan is there. You're playing with a 1-0 lead against the team that... They're not exactly free-scoring, West Bromwich Albion. I mean, you know, they've scored, what, 24 goals? No, they've scored 25, right? So 20 before that game. So they're scoring less than a goal a game and they put five past you. To me, because Chelsea have obviously proven they can defend, they can keep clean sheets. The two goals that they concede right on right on the stroke of half time doesn't help. It was just a bit of a mental collapse, I thought. You know, they, they had that adversity, you go down to ten men. It was the first time as you said under Tuchel that they really were put in a position where the game went against them and you had to adapt in game. And I just kind of got the impression that it wasn't something they were necessarily prepared for. Um, and that, I suppose, is the problem with trying to micromanage every aspect of a football match, which I do get the impression Tuchel tries to do. I think he's the sort of manager that likes to have control of the way the game's going to pan out. And when you get that kind of little aspect of it being taken away from you, that's potentially when you see you know, the kind of the madness that, that we did see on the weekend. So, mm. I mean... Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's not something to you know go overboard about from from a Chelsea perspective. They've still been collecting points and, and doing well, and they're still in a good position, I would say, to finish in the top four of eight games left. But the only thing I would say is that you know going forwards, if I'm a Chelsea fan and I'm looking at that, I would want to see, as you said, you you stayed with three at the back, despite the fact that you were two one down at half time. I would want to see a position where. It gets to a certain point and you go, do you know what? The handbrake's coming off. We're going to play a sort of different sort of style. And it and it might become a bit chaotic. And I understand that, you know, you did concede five goals. So you might argue that that did happen. But it's the only criticism I would have of Tuchel so far is I think he's just trying to micromanage a bit too much the outcome of games. No, no, I fully agree with you. And that, hence, hence the three at the back. And I think he, it, it's an air of arrogance to, to, to the idea that we can still play the same way against... Uh, with ten men against against eleven people, I mean mm. West Brom, and it's not it's not you know we're, we're we're a better side, but the difference between ten and eleven men is absolutely huge. I don't know if you've ever played ten men uh, in a football game. I have because not enough people showed up, and it was horrific. <laughs> it was horrific. Nice. I'm telling you, you, you're you're knackered. I know these professional athletes, but the 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 amount of space. One man can occupy is 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 vast. Um, so the idea that we can leave three people in in the defence and still dominate in the midfield is is baffling to me. Um, so that that was concerning. Um, I don't think he I don't think he envisioned envisioned conceding, and yeah. then after conceded the two goals early before half time, he went gung ho. I don't think he envisioned that we'd just get the goals and instead of being counter-attacked and, and, and clinically, you know, pulled apart. Um, so, yeah, air of arrogance. It's disappointing, but let's not read too much into it. West Brom, on the other hand, they're still going down. Yeah, well, I was going to ask. Yeah, it's, not yeah. bitter. it's not bitter. They're still going down. They don't perform well enough. They're, I think they're five points off Fulham. Um, yeah, eight points off the relegation. So right. eight points off, and, yeah, and off with a much basket. worse goal difference as well. So it's yeah, it's basically no, it's they need to go, they need to gain nine points on yeah. Newcastle with eight games left. I think you're right. I think that's sort of a flash in the pan, but that's it. To be honest with you, from West Brom. Um, no, their next three games 
are Southampton, Leicester, Villa. Yeah. Oh, their schedule is such a hard one as well. I've seen it now. Southampton, Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, West Brom, Leeds. So they, they, that, true. that yeah, that's Sorry. yeah. They're not playing any of the teams around them, and and obviously when you play the teams around you, I understand that you know if you lose, it's a disaster, but. It presents an obvious opportunity. Six pointer. Yeah, it presents an obvious opportunity to gain points on 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 you know an opposition that could cause you to get relegated, and they haven't got that opportunity. I don't think they'll collect many points from their remaining games. I have to be honest; I've just not seen enough from them. It was a great performance. Don't get me wrong; that they, they took advantage of the situation that they were awarded. Um, but I, t- I totally agree. I'm I'm not ready at this stage to say they're going to mount a survival charge if they win the next three. <sighs> then you know maybe if maybe. they win the next if, if yeah, they win I mean, the next three then they they honestly deserve to stay I mean, have, have they won consecutively I, they I, haven't I, I they've won all, so. no. four games all season on the, the first win was sorry uh, I got the wrong one here their first win was on the 28th of November against the team below them Sheffield United their second win was on uh, oh this thing is lagging here but it's sometime in January and then the third one was on 27th of Feb before the Chelsea game. So it's in the 10th, 19th, 27th, and 30th game weeks. Uh, mm. And it's just all red and grey from there. So if we, if we think they're going to go down, right? So you think West Brom, Sheffield United are gone. Um, yeah. You've then got Fulham on 26 points. Fulham lost this weekend against Villa. Mm. Um, Newcastle got a Desmond um, with, with Spurs. Yes. And we love a Desmond on this podcast. Um Swim for football. They're on twenty nine. And then you got Brighton on thirty two, Burnley thirty three. I, I don't think it probably goes as far up as Burnley. I think you're sort of looking at it as Fulham Fulham and Newcastle are the two obvious ones, aren't they? And yeah. sort of competing yeah. for for that last what well, I say competing for it, competing not to be the last team relegated. Um what do you what are your guys' general opinions on that? Who do you, who do you see coming out of it or or going down? I worry for Fulham. Mm. They just can't seem to um, play consistently well. Like, and we've talked about that before. I think in the podcast where you can see what they're trying to do, but it's it's just not. They don't have the quality players to perform that. And my opinions from the start of the season on Fulham was. And even like in the championship last season, from the limited amount of time I've watched them, is that their squad is not a Premier League squad whatsoever. Um. So like I I've I've saw that I've seen them, or I could see them going down from the start, and it's because of that. They they can try to play as well as they like, but if you don't have the players to to do it. And it's ironic coming from someone who's got a draw and a loss against it's Fulham. Yeah, uh, it's outrageous, right? It's telling about our season. Mm. Um, but I, I actually don't know. Steve Bruce is not a great manager, no, he he? but he, he at isn't. least he's got four draws out of the last five. They were so pretty. Like, they were pretty gathering. good. They were pretty good on Sunday. I thought, you know, yeah, definitely yeah. worth the draw. Um... But what my, my what my pet peeve with Newcastle is that they changed their system too much. There was one point where um, was it at Everton? I think they. they yeah, they had a two 0 win, didn't they? 
and everyone was... win. Yeah, Calum, uh, uh, Calum Wilson. Yeah, two uh, one. Two one. Oh no, two nil. Yeah. Granted, he's he's been injured for a while since. Um, but like their defensive structure, the, they had a diamond midfield. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So good, like so effective uh, against a, a very strong Everton side that was like you know they they it was the full team. It's not like Everton had any big names absent at the time, if I remember correctly. Um, so just stick with it. Like, don't change things. You don't I was... need to. If you if you get a good result, you want to carry that momentum forward and kind of get yeah. the team actually, uh, you know, used to a system and a structure. It just. I was absolutely sorry, Ali, but I was absolutely baffled by by their performance against Tottenham. They were pressing oh. high. Their yeah. first goal, they pressed high. They haven't done that all season. They mm. sat back so deep all season. And and then they pressed Tottenham when they got the goal from so, it. Joe Linton scored, and then they stopped doing it again. Yeah. And then once they conceded two, and, and the second half came, they decided to press again. So I, I yeah, I, I personally looking at that because I've watched them quite a bit this season. It's less about the way they want to play, and it's more about looking at the opposition they're playing in Tottenham. Tottenham, yeah. it, for mine, are one of the worst teams in the league at playing out from the back. They cannot press, progress the ball up the pitch. So if there's an opposition you want to go and press, it's them. So I can understand why they did it. But as you say, it was baffling that they then conspired to, to stop doing it after they scored. I mean, I know they conceded pretty soon after, which, which didn't help. But I'm not convinced that that is the template. Like I, I, As Ali said, they had a really good performance at Everton. And I remember Everton was like, right... This is where it changes. This is the performance to build upon, and this is the way we have to try and play. Whether we actually get the results is a different matter, but this is the way we have to try and win football matches where we are proactive and we we do play positively. And then it wasn't, it, you know, and the results were really poor after that, um, and 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 have continued to be, um, you know, in terms of their upcoming fixtures. That that last that game on the last day. I mean. It, Often these it doesn't go to it, so everyone kind of builds it up and you think right it's going to be a relegation decide on the last day, and it usually gets decided before that. If it did go to that, I mean, it'd be, it'd be quite an occasion, wouldn't it? Mm, it would. But and also looking before that, then new it very much could go to the last day. Newcastle got some. If if Newcastle aren't even relegated by that point, West right Burnley obviously, West Ham, Liverpool, Arsenal. Arsenal. Um, Leicester, <laughs> Leicester, Man City, and then Sheffield, Fulham. That that they could lose all of those games, apart from the Burnley and Sheffield. Like they're not looking to pick up points there. Mm. That that's an incredible run of of as incredibly bad for for Newcastle, and it it could just mean that Fulham have that chance. I believe Fulham have a better goal difference. I could be wrong, actually. I'll have a look. Fulham's, uh, oh, Fulham's goal difference. Yeah, Fulham's goal difference. Yeah, it's three better. better. That much better. That could be three points on the final day where Fulham fancy it. Um. So I don't think Fulham's run is much better. I mean, they they still. They well, Fulham have to pick up the points though. This is the thing, right? And this is. Yeah. I think a lot of people have sided with Fulham in terms of who they think is going to stay up because they look at it and they think one team is gaining momentum in Fulham they've been playing better and picking up more points 
and another has massively dropped off since December in Newcastle, right? But yeah. they've Newcastle have got the points in the bank, right? I know it's only three points, but that's one extra yeah. win that Fulham have to get. And, yeah. you know, they go 1-0 up against Aston Villa on Sunday and conspire to throw the game away in the last 10 minutes and lose 3-1. It's not easy <laughs> to win games when you know you have to win them, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the pressure could well get to them, sort of looking at their fixtures. They've got they've got to play Arsenal, yeah, as you said. Uh, but they've got to play Chelsea. They've got to play uh, Man United. And then they've got the, the two games I'd be looking at if I'm a Fulham fan are Burnley at home and Southampton away. You have to pick up a win in one of those two games. Southampton yeah. have nothing to play for by that point. And Burnley will probably be safe as well, right? If you want to stay in the division, you have to win one of those two games. If they win them both, they've got a good chance, I think, going into that last and, day. And then, yeah, then they, they have to beat Newcastle. And that's what Fulham have to do. They have to take it to the last day because you just don't know. Like, we might have fans back in by that point. I know that's the plan. Newcastle are a huge club. Like, the pressure of going to the last day and knowing if you're beaten, you're down. It could well get to them. They've got a manager that probably shouldn't be there. They've got a group of players that, you know, if you look at them, they don't really stand up to pressure very well, I don't think. Um, they're, they're very flaky. So if they can, if you're a Fulham player, you have to take that to the last day. If you're not going to make it safe beforehand, it's unlikely they will. You have to make sure that it gets to the yeah. last day and then just give yourself the chance. Because in a one-off game against a team that are very, very inconsistent, like... Anything can happen. I just want to say, if they do allow fans back into the game for that final season, how unbelievably unfair that it is. It would be. I just, and that's the problem with it, isn't it? And that's... Unbelievably unfair. I think it's at Fulham. Yeah, it is, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, just, I, I don't think people realise how much fans fans actually can can influence well, games. Yeah, if, you, if you're in a situation yeah. where new, at Fulham have to win to stay in the league, and you have something like, I don't know, what are they talking about? 4,000 fans or, or 25? I can't even actually remember the figure they've thrown out there. It might be more than that. But the, the point is, it's it, it really will make a difference, as you've said. And if you have an occasion like that, where the fans know that they have to get every uh, drop out of that team, trust mm. me, it is going to be an occasion. And, uh, like, as much as we all want fans back in the stadium and as much yeah, as it's been a no, sort of yeah. sterile environment that isn't really football for me, right, this season, and I'm not just saying that because Arsenal have been rubbish, it isn't really football. I don't, I don't like it. I hope we never experience it again. Mm. But if you're looking at the preserving the integrity side of it, and I know we had fans in in December for a couple of games, but this is completely different. This is an absolutely, completely incomparable situation where you might be presented with pretty much a playoff on the last day of the season yeah. and you have fans in for it. I, I, I'm with you, George. I, I actually don't think it would be fair, to be honest. It wouldn't, um, but um, I would like it because... It has no impact on you. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't have any impact on me. But uh, Or it, we, uh, we could be playing for the Champions League until the final day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. I, I don't want to play in the Europa League. <laughs> I don't want to play in the Europa League at all. Um, and yeah, so if from a footballing sense, I think just from watching teams play football and and have a structure and have a plan, Fulham deserve to stay up and Newcastle deserve to go down because yeah. Newcastle have had so, uh, or not so many, because they haven't won many games, but they've had opportunities of 
seeing that they've done something well and sticking with with that structure and that plan yeah haven't done it no they haven't haven't done it i mean what do we think of this conspiracy put forwards that mike ashley's trying to get the club relegated because he thinks it'll be easier to sell to the saudis in the championship i mean i'm no expert on football takeovers but it's not going to go unnoticed is it given how like publicly uh, like how public an event of an event it was last summer like everyone knew about it and everyone knew when it mm-hmm. fell through so if suddenly it comes around to the end of next summer and they've got new ownership and it's like well hold on what's going on there like it, people aren't just not going to realize that surely I'm sorry, uh, yeah, no, because they yeah. wouldn't have they wouldn't have bought Callum Wilson, um, Ryan Fraser, and the other summer signings. They wouldn't have gotten three points at Goodison Park or mm. got a Desmond against Tottenham. Yeah. Um, so if there was like an an activity, I think people like down, conspiracy. At like least they they do. But if there was they wouldn't have made the signings at least in the summer. So. I think you, you also have to look at the character of, of uh, Mike Ashley. Yes, he's fully capable of being very corrupt and getting a team relegated. Yeah. However, <laughs> he even more so, he, he likes money. And Newcastle's value dips oh, 50, 100 million yeah. if, if you get relegated. So as much yeah. as that... Cons- like, I don't think he's that desperate to sell the club that he would actually like want to lose money on it. No, it's he impractical. He knows that 300 million, despite it being complete, uh, it's, it's an overestimate in my opinion. He knows he can get it. Um, he just needs the Premier League. Who, are, in all honesty, the fact that they're 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 choosing now to hold some integrity in terms of financial takeovers, and I, you know Chelsea are as guilty as as, as um, Man City, but Man City especially. The yep. fact that they're trying to 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 hold the high ground in, yeah, in this case bonkers. is 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 crazy, crazy to me. But I don't know. Maybe they're uh, the fact that they're trying to act like like they're a, a moral force. The FA is. Or I think they they yeah they feel like they have to. Joke. They feel like they have to be seen in a certain way in modern football. It was different ten or fifteen years ago. It doesn't make it right. I can, I'm completely on board with you. The consistency isn't there when you look at the takeovers that have been sanctioned in football in the Premier League. It, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up for them in, to intervene. I, I know there are a lot of Newcastle fans that are unhappy about it, and you know it, it's understandable. Um, but it, yeah, it's just sort of crossing a line into football that oh, I don't really wish to get into. If, if I'm all honest. In all honesty, yep. <laughs> what a what a what a positive podcast! This I is. know, right? Do you know what I was thinking about it? I was like, "There's just nothing wow. good to talk about, is there?" <laughs> I mean, it really isn't. Like, what what yeah. is there that's good to talk about at the moment? Is there anything like outside of football we could just do a podcast on today? And it's like, well, you know, that would probably be if better. If we'd than done what we've the done. podcast before the game, it would have been a, a like, I know, right? Marveled. At do you know what? I have to. Um, all, but it's good that we didn't do that because be, it would have been before we finish it. Before yeah. we finish, um, if you're wondering why we didn't do the podcast before the Liverpool game tonight, mm-hmm. um, I was told to give a shout out to to Miles and a group of the others I was out with earlier. So here's your shout out, Miles. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Continue, hey. mate. I'm sure you know the listeners will appreciate that I uh, I was back in time to record the podcast. I left your little booze session earlier, so I hope it went well for you, mate. Um, I hope you're listening to this and I hope you know that just because of you, Ali's in a bad mood on this podcast. So cheers for that, fella. <laughs> you know, keep supporting us and um, we'll see you on the next one.